Grace and peace be yours in abundance. This is Season 7 of Guerrilla Christianity. My name is Pastor Brett Walker, and I'd like to thank you for listening to Guerrilla Christianity, an unconventional no-apologies exposition of God's grace from an evangelical Methodist point of view. Now, the Word of God is central to all we believe, so let's get into God's Word right now. Now, please remain standing for the reading of God's Holy Word from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy, thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, Pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Ash Wednesday marks the beginning of the season of Lent, and during this season we are going to be uh, in a new series. The series is based in the Psalms. A few years ago, I preached during the Lenten season through a series of psalms, and this year it seemed appropriate to do so again. Today we're going to be looking at Psalm 51, which is David's confessional psalm, a psalm of repentance after a grave sin. The series is titled Selah, Life in a Minor Key. A few weeks ago, we looked at that word, selah, which is a word that has been transliterated, but not necessarily translated. In its context, in the Psalms and in the book of Habakkuk, it is thought by many to be understood as a word which indicates a time to pause, a commandment to reflect upon what we've just heard or read and so Selah commands us to take time and to listen. As we were talking last Sunday, we must take time to listen to Him, listen to Christ. Therefore, I'm going to read again the words of Psalm 51. 
and verses 1 through 17. Let us hear the word of the Lord for us today. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I tr teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall shew forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. May God pour out his rich blessing upon this, the reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Loving Father, speak truth to your children. Open our eyes that we may see. Open our ears that we may hear. Open our hearts to receive your holy word. For we ask it in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. We sometimes forget because we read them that the Psalms were songs. Songs of praise, songs of lament that the people of Israel would lift up to their God. Much like our hymns today, we sing songs that have meaning, deep and rich theological meaning. Many of the hymns that we have in our hymnal were written certainly in the last century, but also in the 19th century and even before. Martin Luther wrote one of our finest hymns, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Charles Wesley wrote so many hymns, 6,000 it's said, in his lifetime. We couldn't possibly put them all in the hymnal. But I thank God that we have a... a a very good sampling of his work. I think of hymns like, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise. And I think about hymns that speak to our brokenness. 
And can it be that I should gain? And can it be that I should gain? From God, mercy, grace. That's what these hymns speak to. This hymn today, or this psalm today, was written in a time of a time when David was probably at his very lowest. And think about a time, and we all have them, a time when you felt like life could not possibly get any worse than it is right now. And remember that through it all, God is with us. God is with us always. God never departs from us. Even in our sin. We as Methodists believe in the doctrine of prevenient grace. That means that even when we were in rebellion to God, even when we had turned our backs against Him, even when we, we didn't believe in Him, we turned away from Him, God still loved us. And he gave us grace. What is grace? Grace is something that we don't deserve. Certainly when we are in rebellion to the God of the universe, we don't deserve his favor. And yet, he offers it to us. How? John Wesley spoke of prevenient grace. That God, before we loved him, God loved us. We read this in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 that says, God's love is demonstrated in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't die for good people. Christ didn't die for righteous people. He died for sinners to make us righteous, to cover us with his blood, to free us from the bondage of sin. And believe me, it is. Bondage. The society today would tell you that whatever you want to do, as long as it makes you feel good and doesn't hurt anybody else, it's fine. And yet we read in the pages of the Bible, against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight? That's David speaking to God. God, I sinned against you and you alone. Now what's he talking about? He's talking about an event that happened in uh, 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 11 shows us how quickly we can spiral downward in our sin. And believe me, it does not take long. First, we are told that in the time when kings go out to war, David stayed back in Jerusalem. So the first thing we learn is that he was doing something that was contrary to what was being asked of him. So his army was going out and he stayed back in Jerusalem. And one evening he was out on a stroll uh, on the roof of the palace, taking in the cool night air, and as he looked down, he saw a woman bathing. Now, what he should have done is he should have immediately turned and kept on walking, but he didn't do that. 
Instead, his eyes lingered. His pulse quickened. He called one of his servants to him and he said to him, Who is that woman? Go and inquire about her. One of his servants told him, That is Bathsheba. She is the wife of your servant Uriah the Hittite, who even now is at the battle line where you ought to be. Hmm. Now that should have deterred him. If just glancing at the woman didn't avert his gaze, when he learned that she was married, he should have just said, you know, good for him. But he didn't. He sent, had her brought to him. They had extramarital relations. And in due time, she became pregnant. And now David was in some real trouble. Numbers 32, 23 tells us, be sure your sin will find you out. We can't hide anything from God. We might be able to hide it from each other. We might be able to put on a good face and go out into the world. But God knows the content of our hearts. And so David tried to hide it from everyone. He didn't want this pregnant woman to reveal his indiscretion. So what did he do? He sent and had Uriah brought back from the battle line. Uriah came home. He says, tell me about the battle. You know, anybody could have brought that message, but he sent for Uriah. And then afterwards, he said, why don't you go down and spend the night in your own home? Thinking that he would then consummate his own relationship with Bathsheba, then he might think that that child was his. But Uriah was a righteous man. He said, as long as my men are in battle, how can I go down and experience the pleasures of my marital bed? So he didn't. He slept instead just outside the palace. Well, David's in a pickle. So he, gets, he brings Uriah back in the house and he gets him drunk and tries to get him to go down to his house again. And it doesn't happen. So finally, David decides he's got to do something drastic. He must do something to hide his sin. And what did he do? He wrote a note. I mean, just imagine the audacity of this, okay? He wrote a note to Joab, who was the general at the front lines, and he said, when you receive this note, please take my servant Uriah, place him in the heat of battle, and withdraw from him so that he may be killed. Rolled it up, put it in Uriah's hands, and said, deliver this message to Joab. And Uriah carried his own death sentence in his hand and delivered it faithfully to his general who read it followed its instructions to the letter then sent back to david and said it's all taken care of bathsheba mourned for her husband and when her period of mourning was over david took her into his home as a gracious king and took her as his wife and that brings us to chapter 12. I want to read this to you. The Lord sent Nathan, the prophet, unto David. And he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one 
city. The one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little lamb which he had brought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a, a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And boy, do we get righteous when we see our own sin in other people, don't we? We get self-righteous. How dare they do that thing that I do all the time, but how dare they? His anger greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. This is about you, David. Okay? You took Uriah's wife. You had him killed to hide your own transgression. And is this the judgment that you want on you? Because that's what's coming. Nathan said to David, Thou art the man, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul, and I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord? to do evil in his sight. Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For if thou didst, didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. Is God ever pleased with our sin? No, he is not. And we have taken the idea of sin and diminished it down to a little thing. Oh, it's just a little thing. It's just a little thing that we've done. These words, thankfully, convicted David to his heart. Because in verse 13, David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. That wasn't all that he said. That wasn't all that he said. Because we read what he said in Psalm 51. He said, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. My sin is written in a book. Do you all remember when you used to use a fountain pen and the ink would 
take time to dry and you had a little thing that you would roll on it with felt on it that would dry the ink. It was called a blotter. But what, what David was saying was take the ink of that sin and blot it out completely. Erase it. Take it away. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. And then this, again, against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Against you and you only, God, have I sinned. Now Uriah might have something to say about that. Bathsheba might have something to say about that. Really, David, you only sinned against God? Remember us? Remember Uriah, you had him killed because you took his wife? But in reality, that's the truth. That when we sin, first and foremost, we are sinning against God. No matter what we do. Whether it's a, a little white lie, or whether we take something that belongs to someone else without asking, no matter how small, sin is a sin. And every sin is against God. And it's because of who we are sinning against. It's because of the authority of the one that we have transgressed. That is why it is so dire for us. Our situation is hopeless without His tender mercy, without His grace. And His grace is given to us in the shape and form of Jesus Christ. Jesus came, and I put these palms up on the table here to remind us that at one time, these palms were green. They were vibrant. They had life in them. And on Palm Sunday, we hold them high and we wave them and we think about the people who welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem. And they waved fronds of palm branches. And they laid their cloaks at his feet. And they said, Hosanna! Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heavens! Yet those same people, five days later, standing in front of the judgment seat of Pilate cried out, Crucify him. David was a man after, his, after God's own heart. And God, he, I mean, he brought the Ark of the Covenant into the city of Jerusalem and he was dancing before it and singing with all of his might. I could just imagine David after he was done, just sweat pouring off of him from worshiping. And his palms may have been green and full of life then, but then they turn lifeless. If we don't keep up with our relationship with God, this is what happens to our worship. It becomes dry and brittle. And each year I take some of these palm fronds from the year before and I burn them. 
and I turned them into ashes. I was, I was describing the process to Wayne before the service. It's a reminder that yesterday's palms are today's ashes of repentance. And we can worship God today. Something happens and we turn away from God. And now we grieve over our sin. We sorrow over the way that we have sinned against God and God alone. We come to Ash Wednesday with the understanding that all sin is sin against God, first and foremost. Whatever we have done, whatever harm we have caused, inwardly or outwardly, no matter who bears the brunt of our selfishness, ultimately it is against God and God alone that we sin. Ash Wednesday is an observance of that sin that separates us from our God. It is a painful reminder that we have separated ourselves from our loving Father. And at such a time as this, we feel orphaned. There's a song that Paul Robeson sang. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. And I can't do him any justice. <laughs> but I can try. <laughs> because the words of this psalm are like the words of that song. He said, Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child a long way from my home. And when we turn away from God, that's how we feel. This psalm is a psalm of David pouring out his heart to God and saying, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. Lent is a season when we will focus on our sin. Over the next 40 days, we will be hearing the words of the psalmist as he guides us through prayer and restoration with our God. We confess our sin as a whole and individually, collectively as a church and each of us privately in our prayers. The promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ is this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. This Lenten season, let us each deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow Jesus, who leads us to Calvary, to the empty tomb, into eternal life in his name. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you great thanks for this reminder that even when we have turned away from you, Lord, you have not turned away from us. When we rebelled and our love faltered, your love remained steadfast. Because you are God, you are eternal and infinite love. And though our love may 
wax and wane with the seasons, may turn with the desires of our hearts, yet your love endures forever. And so we cling to this promise, Lord, that even though we are broken, even though we are faulty, even though we are weak, we gain strength in your Holy Spirit. You live in us. We repent of our sin and we trust entirely in the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation. And we give you great thanks, Lord. Throughout these 40 days, may we rejoice in the knowing that there is grace and there is love and a peace that passes all understanding. All this we pray in the mighty name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of Guerrilla Christianity. My prayer for you is that you have been blessed in its teaching as I have been blessed putting this message together. God has also blessed me in appointing me to serve two churches in Salem County, New Jersey, Ebenezer United Methodist Church in Auburn and Hudson United Methodist Church in Pettertown. And if you live in the area and you don't have a church to call your own, I'd like to invite you to join us on Sunday mornings. Ebenezer meets for worship at 9 a.m. and Hudson meets for worship at 10.30. We also have Bible study during the week. Now, if you enjoy this podcast and would like to help support it, please share it with your friends and family. Hit like, leave a comment, and also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just search for Guerrilla Christianity. Keep learning, keep growing, and I pray you will join us for Guerrilla Christianity again. Until next time, remember this, Christ died for you, now go live for Christ.